I'm Bridget Owens, and you're listening to the Waxing Soul Podcast, where we dig deep into the nuance of magical and spiritual concepts. It's February 23rd, 2023, and on today's episode, we're discussing the important difference between focusing on the how-tos of magic versus the whys, and which is more important for those beginning their learning journey. Are you ready to grow your soul? Something really interesting has come up out of the journey down memory lane that I've been taking. Um, I, uh, part of my methodology with this numerology project that I've got going on is to sort through all of my photos and kind of put those in a, in a timeline using my Google photos account, sort of organizing them into year albums and putting the year numbers right on the album names, all of that. Like seeing the reminders of stuff that happened in those years makes it easy to spot patterns. And I've even started like searching up photos of of objects or places or whatever that I remember being important or notable, even if I didn't actually take the photo of them. <laughs> like, uh, like, you know, there was, um, there was one b- birthday, it was 2008. So when I, it was when I turned 33 it was a disaster of a birthday. My parents kind of ruined things and we, we ended up eating KFC for dinner instead of me actually like getting a birthday dinner as we had been planning. And the only, you know, birthday part of it was the stupid bunt cake, the KFC bunt cake. Anyway, um, that has been kind of a pivotal or, or notable event, but I obviously didn't take photos of the sad KFC takeout that made me sick, by the way. Um, so like putting a photo of, of a KFC bunt cake off the internet to, you know, put in there as well to kind of round out the depth of recollection, right? <laughs> anyway, I'm getting off topic. Um, so I had a hard time dating some photos, putting them in the right years. And sometimes even knowing or remembering why I took a photo in the first place. Um, but I knew that lots of photos from 2006 and after were for social media. So I I put a request in to get all of my posts and events as a data download from Facebook. Uh, It makes it so much easier to get (laughs) back to the beginning and work through it. Plus now, if I lose access or power or whatever, like I've got the whole thing downloaded. So I was surfing through my data download, going through, I think I was up to about 2009 or 10, and there was a post with a link to my old blogspot blog, which I thought I had lost forever, but it was still active. My regular blog was there. My marathon training blog was there. And not only did I have that blog for quite a few years, I had apparently moved important MySpace posts over to the blog when I deleted my MySpace. So, I mean, I never imagined I would find some of this information again. It is, it's kind of epic. But once I had that, I remembered that my very first book of shadows, my very first documentation of my first like real forays into witchcraft, uh, had been a blog as well. I had started a blogger account um, separate from my main one and kept it on private and used that as my books of sh- book of shadows so it, it couldn't be found sitting around the house. So I was like, if these other blogs are still active, the book of shadows one still has to be out there too, right? And it took me a bit to figure out like what old dead email I would have used for the account and how to recover a password and all that. But I did it. And so now I've got all of my witchy documentation from 2006, seriously, 2006 
all the way until 2013 when I switched to doing um, my public spirituality blog on my website and I started documenting all of my like alchemy workings and stuff in, in physical journals instead. So here I've got this whole, like a friend of mine was like, I bet there's some cringy stuff in there. But honestly, there's not much cringe when it comes to my practice. Um, now my life, that was, I got into witchcraft at a time, or well, just before a time, when things were really very not good in my life in a lot of ways. But I was into some good stuff that I, I, I'm absolutely going to pick up and work on more now. Um, but anyway, that has, that has kind of come up for me. <laughs> uh, and what I've, I realized reading through my old notes and musings and, re, you know, reflections, um, plus from a, a conversation that came up on TikTok, was that I think we do a huge disservice to those hoping to learn witchcraft when we focus too much, especially in the beginning, on technique and how-tos. Because for me, looking at the evolution of my practice, I can see me kind of fumbling around for the first year or two, just, you know, trying stuff, just doing things. Like, this is a witchy thing. This feels like witchcraft. This is, this is how I read to do it. So I'll do it. See what happens. And, you know, nothing bad happened, but nothing like, nothing significant happened either. Like, I wouldn't say I regret that time. I'm absolutely in favor of witches of all levels just trying things, just starting somewhere and exploring and trying things out. But what I notice in my notes is that I really didn't have a sense of why I was doing any of it, you know? Like, the purpose was curiosity, which is valid. But looking back, I, I hesitate to categorize what I was doing as... A practice for the first bit. Like it was really just an exploration of techniques and tools to see if anything happened, which is different. It really is. I was, I stitched a TikTok the other day answering another creator who was talking about how much stuff on witch talk goes beyond the philosophy of, you know, like there are multiple ways of, to do things in witchcraft to the point where People are actually teaching just absolute nonsense and calling it witchcraft education. And my position on that is that, I mean, let's be honest, it's, it's not that hard <laughs> to get decent information on how to do, you know, spells and workings on the internet. Like Google any type of spell you want to do and you'll probably find 17 different versions and there will be patterns. There will be common themes like, you can easily look up various correspondences and see if they make sense or if there's better, you know, options. Like, and, and like I said in my TikTok response, new witches don't get into trouble because they do spells wrong. They get in trouble because they do poorly thought out spells for dumb reasons and, and suffer the natural consequences. My point here, though, is that the how-to isn't really that valuable when it comes to really learning and using and practicing witchcraft as a beginner. Like, learning a lot of, of how isn't ever going to make someone a witch or a magical practitioner until they get into the what and why. Like, I didn't actually start productively practicing witchcraft until I hit a really rough time in my life and started doing my shadow work and 
going to therapy and actually thinking about why my life was the way it was and what I could do about it. Like reading through my old posts, there was, I was interested in tarot and stuff for a while, trying to learn it, but it wasn't until I kind of hit this wall of, of despair, I guess, where I didn't know where else to find the answers I needed to help guide me forward. That was the point where tarot started to click, where it finally made sense and I was using it with purpose. And I'm not trying to say that desperation is what people need to move their magic forward. It's just that I didn't really have a sense of um, an understanding of what purpose magic was supposed to serve in my life up until that point. Like, you know, okay, I can learn how to cast a circle and set up an altar and I'll do it, but what is supposed to happen because I did that? Like, I can learn about crystals and work with them, try different meditations, I can look into sigil magic, but, but what am I trying to accomplish? And until I hit the point where I found that purpose, and it just happens that for me, that was a, it was a point of desperation, <laughs> but then I was just playing around. Like, and it's that, the witches that I was around, I think, weren't talking as much about the why of it all. So I didn't have that modeled for me. I just had a sense that there should be a purpose, maybe, if I kept doing things, kept trying things, I would find it. And, I mean, it did work. It probably works that way for a lot of people. But but still, that doesn't mean that the best way to learn or teach magic is to focus on the how-to. If we, I mean, look into TikTok for an example, what does all the arguing about, you know, whether it sense to use, makes sense to use a lemon and a hex matter if we're never talking about when it is appropriate to do a hex and when it isn't and what's the difference between, you know, a hex and a curse and why one might choose to hex somebody and why somebody else might address the same situation in a different way. For year three of the Waxing Soul podcast, my goal is to bring you not just my spiritual point of view, but to connect with a wide variety of authentic spiritual thinkers. If you're interested in being a guest and sharing your own path, practice, and approach to authentic individual spirituality, go to BridgetOwens.com slash podcast to apply. That question, that, that issue of what does it matter whether we're teaching the correct ways to do things if we're not talking about the, the what's and the why's, that question is kind of a loaded one when we really get into it, right? Because as soon as we get into that discussion of when to do things or why to do things, now we're into ethics and values and philosophies and even rules. And that's when things get touchy. Um, it's it's one thing to argue about lemon hexes and, and herbal correspondences, and whether it's okay to blow out a candle rather than snuffing it. But if we start talking about why we do what we do, now we're getting closer to arguing about who is right on a spiritual and religious level, whose worldview is correct. And of course, I'm always on here talking about how there's no such thing as truth, and there's no correct answers to these spiritual questions. But the point of talking about what it means to us to be practitioners, how, how we make the decisions we make, how we use magic in our lives, that's the kind of conversations that help us create communities and cultures. That's, that's the kind of wisdom that older witches can and should be passing down to the new ones. Not in the sense of like authoritative declarations about what is right and wrong, but contributing the, the learned lessons and the stuff that has been learned through experience. 
you know, where we go wrong is when we make those things absolutes and pass them on as like, these are the final answers and the only things that matter. I think it's, it's kind of weird in a way <laughs> that so many elder witches pass on their how to's as if that's the most valuable part of their practice or their legacy. And I get that it's, there's, I think another reason that there's not as much why and what getting shared is that we've cultivated this culture of like not sharing your workings because if you share them, they can be undone or whatever, which I have all kinds of thoughts about the paranoia, which seems to run rampant in witchy circles. Uh, like every practitioner, you know, or who can find you online is probably going to want to hex you and curse you and ruin your workings just for fun or whatever. But you know, I, I get that there are practical reasons, legitimate reasons for not, you know, not to share ongoing workings. On the other hand, once they're done, once time has passed, once we've had time to reflect and see how much, you know, see how they turned out, sharing that kind of experience and knowledge is something that could be so very valuable and yet doesn't happen much. And I think in large part, it's because we don't have the kinds of communities around witchcraft and magic that used to exist. Like if we consider folk magic traditions, especially from the pre-Christian era, when we're looking at, you know, cultural practices like healing and stuff that wasn't wasn't called witchcraft per se, but the form but it forms the core of the practices that that we're kind of trying to revive now. The wisdom of what to do and when and why was passed from generation to generation through stories and folklore and mythology. The how was learned by observation. And the ethical, philosophical, religious underpinnings about what was acceptable and unacceptable, the, the questions of when something was appropriate and, and what to do in certain situations, those things were absolutely passed on as cultural traditions. It was important to keep telling the stories of what happened when, you know, someone did some healing practice or some working and it went wrong or when some, you know, notable thing happened because of whatever practice someone did. Because that was part of the cultural wisdom that needed to be shared and preserved. If you remember me mentioning an episode or two or three ago, uh, whenever that was, about the book club discussion of the book about local folk magic, one thing that jumps out from that was that the techniques of magical healing might be taught and passed on, but not always. Because a lot of healers just discovered that they possessed that gift. But that there were, you know, communal rules and rituals and do's and don'ts about being a healer or witch and going to see one. The, these passed on stories about what happens if you don't follow those standards, or if a healer or witch does something out of those bounds, that that's the cultural legacy more than the individual techniques which can honestly vary from person to person. But the passing along of those stories and the lessons they teach, that's what community is for. We don't have to learn lessons the hard way if the story of one of our ancestors learning that lesson gets repeatedly told to us. And then on the other end of things, if we consider formal magical traditions, like the more modern approaches, if we use the term, well, if we use the term modern pretty loosely, um, you get things like grimoires and other texts where practitioners have purposefully recorded not just how to do things, but what they did, why they did it, and what happened. 
there's, there's the formal tradition of recording the details of the development of various things so that the next generation can build on that knowledge. It's not just recipes and instructions, it's, it's commentary on the what and the why. That's the value of magical texts. But the modern magical community, we now using mad, modern, like now, <laughs> we don't, we don't have a cohesive culture. We don't all come to this with the same kind of agreed upon set of beliefs and all of that. So it's hard. Like We don't have a working mechanism for navigating these discussions about what to do and why and why not. So either we end up arguing over those things or we kind of stick to the how-to stuff because it's less fraught. Like we, we write books, but a lot of books out there today are more references full of just explanation and you know instruction without commentary or reflection and we are we are very very careful where we tell our stories and offer our personal insight because in the kind of environment you find especially online to share our commentary and reflection is to invite criticism and and sometimes even bullying like it's so valuable but the the in the interest of squashing conflict we don't enter into real discussion much so that we can all kind of keep the peace <laughs> in a way. But this is how we get not just misinformation spreading around. It's how we get hate groups and cults. Like lack of healthy discourse allows a lot of unhealthy stuff to go on. So I think it's really important for us as a community, as the larger group of, of everyone in the world who considers themselves witches and magical practitioners, to think about how we can foster healthier mechanisms of sharing our experiences and wisdom so that eventually we can create a more cohesive culture around it or at least a series of cultures to create cultures that support and recognize the, the value of that kind of sharing not in order to enshrine older practitioners as experts with higher status but to foster the creation and protection of strong community continuity. The Waxing Soul is just a small part of what I do, so while you're listening to the rest of the episode, hop over to my website and connect with me online. BridgetOwens.com is the central hub for all my projects, including books, card decks, videos, downloads, courses, and more. Also find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook as Bridget Owens Magic. So the original question that arose on TikTok was basically if there was a point at which some of these tips and methods and correspondences and stuff go so far beyond the fu fundamentals of magic that they are wrong and dangerous or whatever. And at some level, I think what that question starts to get at is whether or not there are fundamentals and where they even come from. Like when we teach the how-tos of magic, where does that information originate? And is there any real basis in it? And I have to, okay, the, the issue, <laughs> the issue of lemon hexes is a TikTok thing. If you're not on Witch Talk, you might not have ever heard about this, but it's pretty common to see someone post content showing how to hex someone and they use a lemon. They cut open a lemon and they'll put somebody's name in it and do a bunch of other stuff to it. So lemon hexes have become the like poster child on Witch Talk for bad information because according to the fundamentals of magic as many understand them, lemons aren't suitable for hexes. And I've also seen similar arguments about uh, using eggshells in baneful workings, like eggshells are protective, so if you put them in a baneful working, you're contradicting the intention of the spell. 
And then some people argue that, like, since the eggshell is broken, if your intention is that it symbolizes breaking down that person's protections, then it makes sense. And that's, that's the kind of argument that I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, the part I think is funny is that it reminds me of when I was a kid. <laughs> there was a cartoon. I want to say it was Rainbow Bright, but since it involves flavors, I'm wondering if it was Strawberry Shortcake. But anyway, the, the villain in the episode was going to turn all the candy in the land lemon-flavored. Something like that. Uh, the whole premise was that lemon was a gross flavor that kids would hate, which baffled me as a kid, because I was like, I thought lemon was great. <laughs> um, and I think of that every time I see the lemon hex fight come up. Like, is everybody now on Team Lemons are good, and the idea that they're acidic or sour or whatever isn't enough for them to be used in a hex, if that's the person's way of envisioning the intent? But the thing is, I think we tend to come at those kinds of questions, the how-to questions, from a point of, and again with the problem of needing things to be absolute truth, from a point of who is right and who is wrong, under the assumption that only one way can be right. And then whichever assertion a person is arguing for, the conversation goes on with the assumption that some of these underlying ideas, that the reasons why something is the way it is, just are assumed to be correct and agreed upon, like the way magic works at a fundamental level. When in actuality, we have no agreement about that. Like there's no common concept about it because it's not a scientific thing. Like do the correspondences come from physical properties, cultural associations, history, just because someone said so? Is it coincidence? Ghosts? Aliens? You know, without agreeing on the deep reasons why, the blueprint that kind of explains the fundamental mechanics, we, we end up taking, we just talking past each other. And again, I think this goes back, it's the problem of discussing our deeper spiritual belief systems. And I think it's worth thinking about on an individual spiritual, like shadow work level, about how much of our for those of us who can be reluctant to talk about the core stuff, the deeper foundation stuff, about how we conceptualize magic within our worldview, how much of that reluctance might go back to a reluctance to deal in religion. Like so much of the witchcraft community sits in sort of opposition to organized religion. So for a lot of witches, there's a desire to kind of stay in the zone where we're just dealing with spiritual concepts, just the active part, the mechanics of magic, and not getting down to the heart of it all because that starts to feel like hashing out dogma. And again, if there's a right and a, you know, if there's one right and there's a bunch of wrongs in that argument, talking about it starts to feel a little like a bat battle for supremacy, like a war amongst religions. There's no other way to view it unless we drop that assumption that there is only one right answer, which then allows for it to be a discussion and not a debate. <laughs> Plus, for those who see their magical practice as being an effort to reconnect with the old ways, to reconnect with the spiritual and cultural traditions that existed before Rome and the church, then that's the environment we're trying to recreate. Different cultures teaching different worldviews and different practices based in different ethical foundations, the vast majority of which were never subject to a process where, like, elders and experts sat down to codify a dogma. Like, most of these cultures 
were unconcerned about correcting or arguing with what other groups believed. And I think that's the place we need to lean into in modern times. We, we do need to have those conversations, but outside the context of correctness or truth. So when it does come down to teaching what is correct and fundamental and what is outside of that, there are right answers, but which answer is right depends on the cultural context, and there's a lot of wiggle room. And I think back to the book on, on Ozark's folk magic, and it specifically discussed how like things weren't consistent across the board. So, for instance, it was common to see horseshoes hung over doors, right? And I'd, all, I'd always heard that they were supposed to go curve side down, which is apparently the most common way because then it, it looks like a vessel which could hold, like, the luck inside. But the author also encountered a significantly large minority of people in those same areas, same communities, who said they learned to put it curve, curve up so it poured out luck on the people who were walking through the door. So if we're looking to our ancestral cultures for definitive answers, it's, it's really likely that there are broad trends, but not dogmatic agreement that there aren't definitive answers. So these discrepancies over things like lemons and whatever rosemary, whether rosemary is an all-purpose substitute or, or which elements correspond to which directions, they, they aren't unique to the present day. They're to be expected. And they should be a jumping off point for deeper discussion, not a point of argument and contention. Thank you for listening. New episodes of The Waxing Soul drop every Thursday-ish. All materials and resources, except the music, are copyright Bridget Owens. Many thanks to my guests, listeners, friends, followers, mentors, inspirations, and my family for making the podcast possible, interesting, and fun. Join me next week for more, and until then, blessed be.